Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. You know, William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, said this. He said, I wish I could make every Christian spend 24 hours in hell before they went back. I think it's so true because of all of the things we get focused on. Yeah. That is not what Jesus is fundamentally focused on. Pastor and author David Stark joins Pastor Paul on life support. David is a senior pastor of a church in St. Joseph, Missouri, and has authored numerous books, including How to Minister to Millennials, and his most recent on the topic of suffering. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Hey, so glad to have you on Life Support. What we do on this show is we tell stories, we talk about redemption, we talk about the power of Jesus in the world in which we live, and we're going to do that again today. My guest is David Stark. He is a pastor and author. He's written two books, one Reaching Millennials and one called Life Keys, and he's also in the middle of writing a book right now on suffering. So we have lots to talk about, and David, thank you very much for being here. It's great to be here with you, Paul. We had a great talk last time about reaching millennials, and I think that was really helpful. A lot of things to unpack there. But you also have this book called Life Keys. Uh, Tell me about that. So Life Keys um, was written in the 90s, but it's continued to be popular. It's, It's basically a way of looking at yourself through what I call five lenses. And those, those lenses are different parts of you. So they are your life gifts or your natural talents, your spiritual gifts, your passions, your values, and, uh, uh, and, I guess, and your personality type. And so the nice thing is my co-authors, Jane Kesey and Sandra Hirsch, had both been on the National Board of Myers-Briggs and the National Board of Strong's Interest Indicator. And so we were able to put into a book a way of identifying all of that without anybody being certified, which when you know that those movements, you know, that was like, it was like, uh, you know, a revolution. And that, because they had both been president of the type community, they were able to go back to the theory. And so we, uh, we help people get really clear about they are. And then that allows us in the latter part of the book to talk about how do I understand servanthood from a biblical point of view? And how do I take all of that and apply it to my vocation or my avocation or my church volunteering or, you know, midlife crisis or whatever the things that it's a bunch of chapters about applying it then to life. That's, you know, we grew up in, uh, in, in our era, we took these spiritual gift inventories and, and then they would report back and say, you know, you should be, you know, doing this and that, and that's your gift. And so we're going to put you over there and, you know, you're going to be like shoveling the sidewalk on winter. That's your one spiritual gift or whatever for me. Um, but I always I always thought that was a kind of an artificial way to get to who I really am. Uh, it doesn't really take into account the people I know or what I know about myself or, you know. I mean, are, are people wandering around churches not really even understanding where they should be plugging in and, and serving? They do. And 
And, and here's the big idea, Paul, and that is like you experience, the goal of Life Keys is not to tell you where you ought to volunteer. The goal of Life Keys, and I, I had that same experience you had, is to give you all this information about who you are in multiple dimensions. I find then there's a digestion process. And then people can make their decisions about volunteering or about work or about whatever they're going to be doing, starting businesses or all those different things. But when you try to do an inventory and then just try to slot them, first of all, it doesn't take seriously all different parts of them. It doesn't take seriously their season of life or what their passion is unless they identify their passions. And so we found it much better in churches to just give them all this great information because people come to our seminars and read the book for a lot of different reasons. And so it's also, therefore, we've found that people will do it multiple times, Paul, because life changes, you know, and so we get lots of different audiences. And I, I find that trying to fill slots, uh, you, you end up feeling like a slot, right? <laughs> Not yeah. a person, right? And so... Uh, we're here really to equip people and they're going to do lots of things with it. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, the different seasons of life. And this is where I'm going to earn the big money to pay me here to transition over to a book you're working on right now. Um, but we do go through different seasons of life. And I can speak personally to, you know, losing a son. And I have kind of this view of my life. And I, I lost a wife before that. And I have life before losing my wife, and then a Paul after, um, you know, before losing my son and a Paul after losing my son. And they're all different, completely different. And one of the frustrations or isolating things about that is everyone around you, they want you to stay the same. They, they want you to be the same old Paul, but you're not. And I would even, I would even um, venture to say that God doesn't want you to be the former Paul, because the reason all this stuff has happened in your life is to refine you to be more like Christ. And so, um, yeah, so tell me a little bit about that, because you've got this really unique, uh, you know, you've got this whole look at what, how people are kind of made up, and now you're writing this book on suffering. Tell me how suffering changes people and why it's so hard for people to accept the new person that comes out of that suffering experience. Absolutely. So the first thing to say, just like you were reflecting on in your own personal experience. When you go through major suffering, it's like entering a new country. I mean, you are a completely different individual. And, and uh, I, I think the, the first thing to say is a whole bunch of things usually shift. First of all, your values shift. And so if you were to sort out your top eight values prior to those events and afterwards, they would be probably significantly different, at least the top three or four. Mm -hmm. Your passions can shift a lot because of what happens with all of that. Um, usually, uh, you may or may not want to use natural talents you've used before. You may want to use them, or at least you might want to shift where they're applied. Uh, some of your spiritual gifts may actually surface in the process of going through that kind of suffering, right? Mm -hmm. let alone the, and the major things that happens in, in my opinion in major suffering is it clarifies what you really want to do with your life 
because you you uh, now realize, which you knew, but you didn't know it directly, how precious life is, or how how much this time should not be applied to trivial things. And so those are at least some of the things that happened, Paul. And so the idea that that individual, you're still Paul, but there's all, all kinds of things that are shifting during the process of doing that. I I was doing life keys with a family who uh, in Chicago, who um, their the husband uh, was the fire chief in town and he was killed in a fire. And I had the privilege of doing this with his wife and with his son and daughter and boyfriend. And they told me that because they were able to kind of re-identify all these parts of themselves, it gave them their first hope. And in mom's case, she she had always wanted to be a clinical psychologist before this all happened, but she was a stay-at-home mom. And now she was really ready to go for it, uh, to do that uh, in the wake of all this. And in the daughter's case, as she went through all of this, she hated God uh, after uh, he, she, you know, he took her dad. But it was the first time she was able to kind of re-embrace the fact that she's still in this world and still has things to do. So it's it's really important that people uh, understand the number of shifts that happen because of major suffering. Yeah, and I think it's also the person who is uh, going through suffering also has to give themselves some grace, right? Because um, you have high expectations for yourself anyway, and you you know we all end up beating ourselves up at some point, and we see all these shifts happening. Maybe we don't have as much energy. We're not thinking as clearly. You know, some of the things we used to do really well, we're I'm going wow, I I can't really do that now. It takes time. We'll be back with Pastor Paul and David Stark in just a moment. Trauma is a topic of this program, week to week. And there's a website that can help all of us learn how to come alongside others who are going through pain and suffering. It's lifesupportresources.org. The registration is free, and you'll have access to hundreds of videos, group resources, and webinars from mental health professionals. Again, that site is www.lifesupportresources.org. And now, back to Pastor Paul. In the daughter's case, as she went through all of this, she hated God after uh, he, you know, he took her dad. But it was the first time she was able to kind of re-embrace the fact that she's still in this world and still has things to do. So it's, it's really important that people uh, understand the number of shifts that happen because of major suffering. Yeah, and I think it's also the person who is uh, going through suffering also has to give themselves some grace, right? Because um, you have high expectations for yourself anyway, and you, you know, we all end up beating ourselves up at some point, and we see all these shifts happening. Maybe we don't have as much energy. We're not thinking as clearly you know, some of the things we used to do really well were, I'm going, wow, I I can't really do that now. It takes time. Um, There's no doubt about it. And that's where the, for me, the concept in Ecclesiastes of Seasons, Paul, is really critical. Because uh, God has factored in the fact that there are seasons in life, in my opinion. There's a time to mourn. 
there's a time to dance. There's a time, I mean, there's a time to gather, a time to refrain. And so my life will not be continuous, in my opinion, uphill, uh, I mean, uh, positively impact in one direction. It just won't be because I've got all kinds of seasons to go through. And I've, I've been through seasons of depression where I basically was doing nothing, uh, nothing that people would point to. But that didn't mean I was out of God's will, by the way. It just meant I was going through a season. And, and I, think, I think for people who are really devoted to Christ, if you're like, oh, well, now I'm, no, I'm not important to God anymore. No, you're still very important to God. And, and, I, and I think God is factored in seasons. Yeah, I think for me the biggest um, change that happened was um, I just got this kind of razor-sharp image of what was important to me now, and that was about eternity. And, and it, it, it wasn't even so much because I was concerned about the people I'd lost. And obviously you think about that and you, you rummage through and, you know, you're okay, yes, I remember that, I remember that. But I think it was more that you do um, you don't want to play games anymore. You you don't have enough energy to play games. You you know you kind of lose some of your sense of humor. Like you, you just become a, you know you almost become a, like a curmudgeon for the gospel. Um, you know, but um, yes. but I but 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 we also need people that have gone through that to help shepherd all of us into places that we wouldn't normally go. That's so true. I think it's in First or Second Peter. You may know the verse better than I do, but it said basically having gone through this suffering and now you're focused on the will of God, and, mm-hmm. and it, it does that. Major suffering does that. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, and that's, so people that haven't gone through major suffering yet may not totally understand why the razor focuses in place. Yeah, and you don't want them to have to experience that. You know, it's not like you're sitting around going like, well, I hope you go through this so you start agreeing with me. Uh, it just kind of all comes together. But do you think that we all went, do you think that we all went through trauma during COVID? And are we still in trauma and suffering together? I think we are. It's not always as sharp and severe as the things that you went through. But I, I, I it, it sure changed countries of where we live in terms of our circumstances. And it changed it in a whole bunch of ways. Churches have been extra hard by that because our major model in America, anyway, of Christianity is being in auditoriums together. And so, you know, consequently, we went through it extra hard uh, relative to some institutions. Um, But I'm also, uh, part of the reason I felt the call back into the pulpit was there's also a lot of adults who went through the clarification process you talked about, Paul. So what is life really about? To me, part of the, 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 the giant re, you know, resignation is people kind of went through, I, I don't want to be doing that yeah. anymore. And so I'm, I'm hopeful to reach out to a culture that, that may be, in some cases, much more open to what's this life all about. Because if nothing else, you had to sit at home for many and, and have, you know, what am I doing? Time. Like, like we've probably never seen. Yeah, my wife kept looking at me like, this is going to end, right? Like, you are, you're not going to be here in the house forever, are you, Paul? You know, it, 
she she kept she kept giving me that kind of a look, and so um, um, <laughs> and this is going to sound terrible, and I hope nobody from my church is listening, but um, I look at what's happened to the people that call themselves Christians, and I see, I don't think it's half and half, but let's say one half has come out of COVID and they're attuned to political. Like, they, they have just gotten totally distracted by politics, by the virus. They're mad at everybody. They're, they're uh, contentious. Yes. And then there's another group that has come out of it and said, yeah, let, let, let's get back to work. And as a pastor, I've almost had to, that first group, I've almost had to say, you know what, I can't help you right now. I can't. I, I can preach Jesus and hope you get it, but I've got to go over here and focus on these people. And and sadly, you know, we're all dealing with different sized churches. We're dealing with different size everything. And and the group that seems to want to get to work really does want to get to work. Yes. So a, as a pastor, how, how are you kind of filtering through this post-COVID era? Well, let me, let me go to the direct issue you're talking about. I find a very valuable book. It's called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And I preached this a couple weekends ago. But when the love of country is higher than the love of God, then we, it, it, Lewis's point is, is that if God's love does not oversee the other loves in our life, our other loves can become demons. And when the love of country becomes greater than the love of God, we are willing to jettison the entire ethics of Jesus, the entire focus on winning people to Christ. We're, we're willing to jettison all of that and how we enter into politics. And I don't care whether you're team A or team B. Yeah. And so we're all fighting the battle, I think, of saying, wait a minute, you don't get to forget about all that as you approach your political point of view. And, and, and it, the challenge is, is it's really an idolatry of love of country over love of God. Because you can't hate and, and uh, you know, basically malign uh, all these people you disagree with uh, and, and think you're following God. You're not. Because now love of country is greater than the love of God. Because the love of God would call your behavior into challenge very ethics of the New Testament and of Jesus. It says, love your enemies and pray for them. I mean, so the way I deal with it is to say, I'm sorry, but the love of God has to reign over all your loves. And it has to, and and it does not, then the other love, it could be romantic love, friendship love, country love, becomes a demon. It becomes, it actually, you're working against God, the gospel being being uh, relevant to people, and all you have to do is talk to people on the other side. I mean, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter which side. Yeah. You, know, you basically have turned them off completely to Jesus, and and of course, that should make a dent. It should. Well, I mean, I I often talk about this as well and you know thankfully as we go through scripture there's a lot of opportunities to talk about what you're saying because this is basically the heart of the gospel um but if 
if we are so devoted to a particular cause and we forget that heaven and hell are still operational, you know, um, that people are making eternal decisions every day, and we're wasting time on this garbage that we that we're all so concerned about, and you know, we're reading videos about how we're going to run out of food, and we're all, you know, oh no, oh no, and you know, the virus is coming back, and you know, this person over there in that party is terrible, and hey, wait a minute, stop. You, you do know that eternity is a real thing. Right. What are you doing? That's exactly it. You know, William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, said this. He said, I wish I could make every Christian spend 24 hours in hell before they went back to earth. You know, I, I think it's so true because of all of the things we get focused on. Yeah. That is not what Jesus is fundamentally focused on. No, and I think that, you know, for me, it, it kind of, you wonder if people really believe in hell. I mean, you know, theologically, you know, we'd all raise our hand and go, yeah, of course, but do we really believe this is happening? Because, um, and I'm not trying to say that people are bad. They're just distracted, and it's it's frustrating, and I agree, I agree for them because they're missing God's blessing, getting caught up in all of the hatred and fear. And and I, I don't I really don't want to show up in judgment today and say, you know, Dave, if your behavior had been different, person A might actually be here. I, I wow, I I just don't, don't want to do that, right? I just read the text about, you know, and David had his affair with Bathsheba, and then God took that that child. Yeah. He's fasting and praying. I think, well, this is kind of the equivalent. You know, don't whatever, don't let me be a roadblock. Yeah, I already have a I already have enough things to answer for without adding uh, more on there. I think Jesus probably has a list already prepared, so I I don't want to really add on um, at this point <laughs> in my life. All right, so we have uh, we have three books. We have Reaching Millennials, we have Life Keys, and we have one that you're working on regarding suffering, which I think is going to be great. And you know, we talk to people on this program a lot about trauma and suffering, and there's such commonality in that you know, the, the the things we've talked about. So that's going to be a really important book. But tell me about Reaching Millennials and Life Keys and how we can get a hold of those books. Okay. So they're both ebooks at this point. You can get physical copies of them from Bethany House Publishers. But the ebooks are online. Amazon will have them. Any, you know, Barnes and Noble will have them, et cetera. And you just put it in there and you can get copies for yourself, you know, almost instantly. And when would you expect the book on suffering to uh, become available? I'm aiming for next summer. Excellent. That's great. Because uh, I'm sure the publisher has ideas of when they want you to be done, right? And um, that means you have to, you have to, yes. there are things called deadlines, right? And um, it is. And I, I appreciate deadlines because it makes you, <laughs> right? And well, yeah. Especially, Especially as a, a pastor. pastor. And, and, and by, by the, the way, way, all the things we talked about, you know, I wish boards would hear all of this too because pastors, as they struggle through all these different issues, I mean, you know, the board sometimes is dis is disconnected from all of this. And, you know, I would encourage any board members that are listening to please, please support your pastor, pray for your pastor, take him to lunch and say, how are you really doing right now? And be open to an answer that you're not expecting and don't judge him for it. It's a tough. It's a tough deal right now. So keep up the good work, man. I know that you're in the fight um, in in a lot of ways, and so I really appreciate you spending time with us. And the yeah, insights awesome. have been great. Wonderful. Okay. Alrighty. That's David Stark, and again, the book uh, "Reaching Millennials: 
Life Keys. Uh, you can get those, and, and I think it'd be well worth your while. And watch for the book that, on suffering that'll be coming out soon. You know, we were talking about eternity. We we're talking about not getting distracted by culture and keeping our our eye on what's really, really important. And just Revelation three twenty came to me, and it's so simple. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. And there's this invitation out there that Jesus has given those people around us. And our job as believers is not to get mad at them and, and not to put them in a corner and not to call them lazy millennials and, and, and all of these things. Our job is to help them take Jesus up on that offer. And if they see in our life a contradiction to the way Jesus has instructed us to live— or what the gospel is all about, they're not going to walk through that door. They're going to run the other way. And I think David made an excellent point. You know, he, he, he said, I, I don't want to be the one that Jesus looks at and says, you know, so-and-so is not here because you, you weren't obedient. And listen, uh, we're, we're all going to be bathed in the righteousness of Christ, thank goodness. And so uh, we don't need to fear that meeting with Jesus, but it does cause you to pause. So listen, again, um, let's all stick together. Let's follow Scripture. Use it as our, 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 our source of truth. Form our worldviews around the Bible and what Jesus wants us to be like, and then we'll see real life change happen in our country. I'm glad you've uh, chosen to join us on Life Support. And we've got great partners that help make this show happen. Uh, Faith Radio is, is great. They're at MyFaithRadio.com. If you'd like, you can go to Five Stone Media and you can see a video portion of this, of this podcast and a whole lot of other material that will help you as well at FiveStoneMedia.com. And you can check us out here at Ridgewood Church at MyRWC.org. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.